Welcome to Hot Breath Comedy Fam. On Monday, May 13th, I am teaching a clean comedy workshop. The last four I have taught sold out very quickly, so if you wanna learn about clean comedy, the business side, where the line is, how to write clean comedy, go to the link in the description of this episode, and we'll see you there. For like a, a newer comic that wants to get more personal, where do you start with a comedian? Is it just like journaling about their lives or do you have like writing prompts to help spark that personal inspiration? Yeah, I have, uh, uh, well, one of the exercises I do is tell me your pet peeves. Mm. Tell me things that you're really passionate about that piss you off, that you hate and make it interesting that when other people hear it, they will agree with you and say, oh my God, me too, I never thought of that. Hot breath. What's goody, Hot breath verse? Welcome back to Hot Breath, the show where you learn comedy from the pros. I'm your host, comedian Joel Byers, and today's guest shares in the spirit and mission of Hot Breath in helping cultivate the next generation of self-made comics. She has taught over 2,000 comedians about the craft of comedy, and she's here to help us do the same. We actually did this Q&A live on our YouTube channel. So if you're not subscribed there yet, we're almost at 20,000 and our goal is 50,000 for this year. So go help us do that on our YouTube channel and join future Q&As. But now, there is only one thing left to do. And that is inhale a hot breath with Lisa Sunstead. Oh. <gasps> We're on the internet. Okay. Oh my gosh. Here it is, everyone. <laughs> Welcome back to Hot Breath, the show where you learn comedy from the pros. This is our Wednesday Q&A and today's guest, OMG. She actually came request from you, the Hot Breathiverse. Um, Hot Breathiverse member Natalia emailed me a while ago to help make this happen and I couldn't imagine a better time than right now. She has helped, she's taught over 2,000 comics. She's a comedian herself. She's created this show, Pretty Women. Pre would you call it Pretty? Wait, no, dude. Oh, oh my, no, 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 no. The one thing, the one thing I didn't want to do was be the patriarchy that mispronounces and miss, oh my gosh. Pretty oh funny. My. I'm pretty so, funny. I'm so, okay. You know, it's kind of like pretty funny women and pretty funny women. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. And the whole name stemmed from when like someone at the improv told you that pretty women can't be funny, right? He told me I was too pretty to be funny. And I said, oh, okay, thanks, I guess. I don't know what that is. <sighs> I don't know if that's a compliment. <laughs> I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that information, but I liked the title, Pretty Funny. Yeah. So, and there were, there were no opportunities for women back then. Very few. There'd mm -hmm. be a lineup of like 10 guys and Sarah Silverman or 10 guys and Margaret Cho. And so I really was looking for stage time, hanging out at the improv every night and it wasn't happening. So my girlfriends and I got together uh, and we created this show. We called it Pretty Funny Women. We put it up in a club in LA and it sold out. And I've kept it going ever since. That was like 1995. I I am so sorry that I did that. I, I cannot- No, don't feel bad. I, I really, like, the one thing I didn't want to do, that's why I asked how to say her last name beforehand as well, just to make sure, all right, everything's going to be great. We're going to come in here. We're going to really highlight someone who's really helping a lot of comedians in a positive way. And then this entire platform and community you've built I'm like, it's the pretty <laughs> I'm a man. I might as well have been like, and coming to the podcast, are y'all ready for a female comedian? Yeah. I yeah, might as I well have done that. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, I I'm so embarrassed. All right, I'll I'll get over myself there. All right. Well, welcome to the Hot Breathiverse. Lisa Sunset, everyone. Lisa Sunset. I said your name wrong too. <laughs> oh my gosh all right you got it you got it the second time thank you so much all right all right i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna take a take a inhale all right 
this is going to be amazing. Lisa Sunstead, thank you for coming on the show. Yes, thank you for having me. So something I wanted to ask, and um, I will say for anyone watching, welcome aboard. Please feel free to comment with any questions you may have for Lisa. I do see um, Ben Webb is already roasting me saying, uh, nice start, Joel. And um, <laughs> Bob Kirk said it's the sugar withdrawals. I've been off sugar for two days and I guess I'm already like tweaking. So. Oh, wow. I'm trying to quit too. <laughs> oh, it's, 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 a, it's a hell of a drug. But I, one thing I wanted to kind of open this up with, because like as, as someone, this hot breath community, uh, probably some of my favorite messages I've gotten have been from female comedians who have said they feel safe in like the hot breath verse in our Facebook group and they feel like supported. And I, I want to extend this. I think within the Facebook group, it's because I'm, I make sure that it's all positive and supportive and not competitive and everyone is welcome, like jokes and whatnot. It's all just there for the sake of comedians helping comedians. But in comedy scenes, I mean, I've produced my own shows and I'm always sure to book female comics. I'm always sure to not be the guy who's like, are y'all ready for a female? But like, what can me, the white male devil, straight patriarchy, what, what can I do as like the next generation of comedians to make sure that, like you said back in the day, women didn't really have as many opportunities to get on stage and you've been a big part of changing that. But like, how can us comedians in the scenes now make the scene even more like inclusive and better so we can all just be funny people and it not be like this like gender division as much? Well, why don't you try producing an all-female comedy show and host it? Ah, okay. That, that You're a sweetheart, you know, people would love to work with you. Does that come off? Because even like when I posted in the stories, my Instagram stories promoting this, and I did the Beyonce song, Who Runs the World Girls, I was hesitant because I was like, is that pandering? Like, does that come off as like derogatory? If I'm like, no, let's do I, an all as a matter of fact, I produced my show at the Laugh Factory for two years, and that's the show they used to, that's the song they used to play when we were done. Oh, snap. Oh, that's yeah. cool. When we were up on stage doing a bow or saying goodnight, that's they would blare that song in the club and uh, yeah, nothing, okay. nothing wrong with that. So it doesn't come off as if I'm like I should do an all female show. It doesn't come off like I'm like trying to pander or something. Well, you should produce it with another woman, right? Mm -hmm. And either you be the special guest at the end or you host it. Okay. And you'll get a lot more women wanting to work with you and you'll give a bunch of women opportunity that they might not have otherwise had. Okay, cool. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. And then is there anything that, is there anything in the comedy scenes that maybe I'm blind to that? Like, I just, I'm all about comedians helping comedians and everyone's welcome, but are there certain things that me as like a dude that I'm blind to that maybe I can start to, if I'm out of the show and notice something happening, then maybe I can help like mitigate that or kind of be aware of it to make sure that doesn't become like a theme or something. Um, like, what do you mean? Like a creepy comic harassing a girl? Yeah. So is that, is that, are those things that like go on a lot in comedy? Oh scenes? yeah. Oh my God. I heard this story. I'll never forget this. One of my students told me they were at an open mic, a bunch of them. And a guy was on stage and he was talking about being the last man on earth. And he said to one of my girls, if, if I was, you, you'd fuck me. Can I say that? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm offended <laughs> okay. just hearing it though. I was like, oh, I can't believe you did that. <laughs> I didn't know if I could cuss. <laughs> but he said that you, you'd fuck me if I was the last man on earth, right? And she goes, no. And the whole room started laughing and he got mad and he goes, yeah, you would. Cause I would rape you. Oh my he said that to her in a, oh. in a room full of a bunch of people and no one said anything or did anything. And they just got creeped out and left. Oh my gosh. And um, I don't know, these open mics are sometimes places where women don't feel safe when, when they're the only woman and then there's 10 guys and they all know each other and 
they are not including her or them and talking about rape and their penis and masturbation and <laughs> just degrading women on stage. Yeah. It happens a lot. You wouldn't, you wouldn't believe, do you do open mics anymore ever? Yeah, I still will. I, I, you know, I'm on the road more produce my own stuff, but I'll still be out at open mics some. Yeah. It's pretty common. It's pretty common. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, that's so just be a person comedians. It sounds like a lot of what you're saying is just be a normal person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like all these things you're saying, they're talking about masturbating and raping. And I was like, Oh, these just sound <laughs> weird in any setting. This is not. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. But there's a lot of guys out there that are really supportive and wonderful and I used to book uh, a few of them to host my shows. Pretty funny women they would host or they would be the special guest at the end. Um, Henry Phillips is a comic I would use a lot in the very beginning of his career. This was like 20 years ago, 25 years ago. If you don't know who Henry Phillips is, you, you got to watch him in his earlier days because he used to play guitar and sing these original songs and he was brilliant. He probably still is brilliant. I don't know if he's still on the road or what he's doing. I haven't talked to him in a while, but and then Avi Lieberman is another one that I would book and he would host my shows. I've had, uh, I've had special guests, special guests that have popped onto my shows when I'm already at the club, when I was in the main room at the comedy store, mm -hmm. um, we had Judd Apatow come on and do, do a few guest spots. Uh, Jeffrey Ross, um, I think Mark Marin might've popped on. Uh, if they were in the club that night, and they wanted a spot all they would have to do is say to the manager i want a spot and then they just throw they just throw them on my show yeah but you know sometimes it would be nice because it would be a celebrity and people would be excited in the audience oh my gosh yeah that's one of the perks of being at the, the comedy store for sure yep. mm -hmm. oh nice and um oh jess jess me comedy said joel is so great okay cool okay i redeemed myself <laughs> Oh my gosh, I was worried there for a second. Ooh. <laughs> so you've, you've taught over like 2000 comedians as well. Is that correct? Yeah, I have because I started teaching in 2006 and I have approximately 20 to 30 students uh, a month or every, every two months. Wow. Uh, all year long. And then there's private coachings I do too. And I, I private coach men too. I just don't allow them in the class because I like it to be a environment where women feel they can talk about anything mm -hmm. and not feel embarrassed or shy or objectified. No flirting. It's just equal playing field. Everybody's open and nobody's holding back. And then that's the best place to come from when you're writing comedy, obviously, you know this, mm -hmm. you know, digging deep and revealing those um, personal, embarrassing, mortifying stories about yourself. Um, this is the kind of stuff we do. And I've had, uh, yeah, a lot of girls are repeat students too. They'll take my class three and four times. And then I teach an intermediate level so they can go to the next level. Um, yeah. We, we have a lot of like younger and newer comics and even what I'm starting to learn more and more as like I'm interacting with people in our Facebook group is like, there's a lot of people who have always wanted to do comedy. Maybe they've written comedy, but they still haven't gotten on stage. Like they haven't overcome that initial hurdle. Like, and I, I'm imagining a lot of people have taken your class maybe without taking that leap either. No, they all get on stage. Yeah, for the graduation, right? Yes, and open mics. I make them go. Ooh, very nice. As a matter of fact, that's the first week's homework assignment is go to an open mic and get on stage and tell a story. Tell a funny story or a rant about a topic that you're passionate about. Where where do you see a lot of like younger comics? What are some like common mistakes that maybe we can help them maybe like shorten that learning curve here on this interview? Well, I can always tell someone's green when they walk up to the stage and they say, oh, give it up for all the comics you've seen tonight. You know, when that's the first thing they say out of the gate, or if they say, how are you guys doing? You know, if they ask that question, I'm like, 
nails on a chalkboard. Don't do that. Come on stage and be original. Never come on the stage and say a line of dialogue that any other comic could have said. Mm. Right? Anybody can go give it up for everyone you've seen tonight. You're just trying to make yourself feel comfortable and get the audience clapping already for you. That's usually, or they're not original enough to think of a line off the top of their head that maybe maybe you can comment on the room or someone in the audience and just say something, but anything but that. <laughs> is that is that mean? I, I I really I can't stand it. Oh no, I mean I agree. It's it's it can be definitely a crutch and it can definitely be a way to kind of get the waves moving without you really having to do any of the work. Yeah, without you know? earning it. Yeah. Without earning it. Yes. Yeah. But it's scary up there. It is and and that makes you feel better sometimes to say, how are you doing? And have somebody say, good, you know, then it makes you feel like, okay, I'm connecting already, but there's other ways to connect. Um, other things that I think you should avoid doing when you're new is too much observational comedy because then you're competing against every other comic out there who's probably already talking about this subject. Mm -hmm. I teach my students to talk about themselves to make it personal. That way no one's doing it. No one can steal it. And you don't have to worry about running across somebody who, who's doing your bit because it's you. Mm -hmm. So too much stuff about Facebook or Kardashians or pop culture or the president. It's all been done. What hasn't been done is your personal story. So tell us your story. We want to know who you are. I personally think reality TV changed the landscape of comedy because I think people are used to going inside the home, watching what goes on behind the scenes and seeing the truth, even though it's produced, we know reality shows are produced, but a lot of them are just people talking and getting real. Ever since reality TV came about, comedy changed. And people started doing that on stage, just mm -hmm. getting very real, talking about themselves. Like think about back in the day, there was Ronnie Dangerfield. I get no respect. I tried masturbating, I had a headache. You know, his thing was, I get no respect. Yeah. I get no respect, that was his gimmick. Um, but people aren't really doing that today, right? Yeah. When you watch comics, they're pretty much talking about their life and themselves. and you know, their wife or their kids, Sebastian Maniscalco, you'll watch him. I mean, he does a lot of um, observational stuff, but he's really getting personal and talking about his, his himself, you know, n there aren't very many famous comedians right now who have a gimmick is what I'm saying. So do, how would you, for like a, a newer comic that wants to get more personal, where do you start with a comedian? Is it just like journaling about their lives or do you have like writing prompts to help spark that personal inspiration? Yeah, I have, uh, uh, well, one of the exercises I do is tell me your pet peeves. Mm. Tell me things that you're really passionate about that piss you off, that you hate and make it interesting. Make it specific to you and quirky. I don't want to hear, I don't, I hate it when people don't use their blinker. It's like, okay, everyone hates that. Give me something that you despise or that really gets to you that when other people hear it, they will agree with you and say, oh my God, me too. I never thought of that. And so that's one of my exercises. One of the writing prompts, pet peeves. I hate blank because of blank. Bring in 10 and tell me what they are. Ooh. And then then you can often build bits off of those little rants, mini rants. So if let's say for instance, uh, since, since the pandemic, I've been like, I've been around my wife more than ever. And something I've noticed is that she leaves her phone battery on like 5%. Like it's <laughs> never fully charged. Anytime she's showing me something and I see the battery, it like gives me anxiety. <laughs> like, so it would almost be like, I, I, I hate like that my wife leaves her battery on 5% because it gives me anxiety. That would almost yes. be like a starting point there. Yeah. I don't want to watch her screen go black. Mm -hmm. I don't want to not be able to reach her. I don't, I, I don't want to hear her complain that her phone died. 
Oh yeah, I don't want her phone to die because then I have to talk to her. Maybe there could yeah. be something. <laughs> that's, that's really funny. That's great. Yeah. Oh man, I'm glad we're recording this. Nice. Yeah, and I, and I, I, sometimes I'll do exercise about things that make you anxious. Mm-hmm. It's very different than being annoyed at something. Things that bring you anxiety and make you like self-conscious. Um, those are some of the writing prompts I do. I make them write three pages a day stream of consciousness just to get everything in your head out onto the page. And at the end of, if you're doing three pages a day and you, you do that for a week straight, you have 21 pages of stuff. You can go back, read it and find three things that you can bring to an open mic and talk about. So it, it sounds like your, your approach is more, not as much one-liner but more of like story based is that is that kind of your because it's interesting to talk to people that teach comedy and see like how they approach things you know so no i i i teach um i teach the bait and switch or the twist or Mm -hmm. the 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 pop culture jokes or the setup punch i do teach them how to write jokes as well and I just, what I do is I hone in on that student, what that student gravitates towards naturally. And I always ask them, who's your favorite comic and bring in a joke from them. And they'll do a joke from, some people will pick uh, Amy Schumer and I'll say, okay, you like edgier, dirtier stuff. And so maybe that's what you should be writing about. Or if somebody brings in, um, I don't know, Ali Wong, it's maybe you like physical comedy. Um, so I, I figure out what they're most, most comfortable with and then I help them write to that specific talent. So some of my girls will come out of the class doing one-liners and some of them will come out just doing uh, rants or stories um it's all it's all different nobody has the same act you know because nobody nobody has the same point of view everybody's different i love i love hearing that though yeah tapping into some sometimes sometimes comedy teachers are like more prescriptive and it's like a wide blanket of like here's how comedy is done but i'm inspired to hear someone like you talking about how it is like tapping into what their unique voice and point of view is and just nurturing that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Oh, and we do have some yeah. questions coming in as well. Yeah. Um, oh, great. Um, this isn't a question, but Jess me who earlier, um, you know, said I was so great after fumbling the first maybe five minutes of this interview, <laughs> but I really feel we're catching stride now after I mispronounced her name and her company's name. I think we're really... <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, Jessmy said, my girlfriend told me I talk about myself too much in my sets. Is it funny? It, it, to me, it, people will be on board with you if you're making them laugh and you're entertaining them and you're an interesting person. You know, Bill Hicks said... If you can't be funny, be interesting. Mm-hmm. So if you have something interesting to say, you know, a lot of times the audience isn't necessarily laughing, but they're listening and they're learning about you. And I think it's okay to talk about yourself on stage if you have jokes, if you're making them laugh, if you're just up there, you know, journaling on stage, that's not going to be interesting. But when I'm watching a comic, I want to hear about them. And I always have a, a, uh, a uh, rule in my class that you're not allowed to run your jokes by your boyfriends or your husbands because men like to fix things. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, don't run your stuff by your significant other, unless your significant other comes to the show and sees you in front of the crowd and sees the whole picture instead of just trying it out with them in, I mean, I don't know how you're going about testing your material, but 
I personally like it when people talk about themselves because I want to care about them. If I don't care about you, then I'm not going to care about anything you're talking about, right? Mm. Ooh, I want to yeah. connect. I want to relate and connect. So give me some juicy stuff about you. Yeah, and you alluded to that earlier about there's a few ways to create a connection with an audience. Is it Does it all start from that personal place? I think it starts with being conversational as opposed to being presentational. You know, in life we have conversations and we talk and then we wait for the other person to talk or we wait for them to give us something back. Maybe they're like going like this or maybe, and if, and if you notice that you're talking to someone and they start going like this, you have to address that. You can't just start talking louder and faster. I think a lot of comics do mm -hmm. when the audience is tuning out. You've got to stay connected. It's a conversation and it's listening as much as you're talking. You're listening to what they're giving you. Sometimes what they're giving you is dead silence, but that's still something, right? That you have to address, especially if you've just thrown out this big punchline. Maybe you've set it up for a long time and then you deliver the punchline and it doesn't work. What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> you're going to shrink into a ball and roll it's, off stage. <laughs> it's really hard when you're new. It's really hard to deal with that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was two years into comedy, I went to the Montreal Comedy Festival and I booked new faces. And I was doing comedy around L.A., seven eight nine open mics per week literally driving to different venues to get on stage and i was doing really well i had a manager and an agent and everything so they they took me to montreal and i bombed because it, it's another country i had never done comedy outside of los angeles so you have to try different rooms different audiences you have to be in a a gay room or an all-black room or a christian room or conservatives or republicans or all you know people from the midwest um all men all women mensa i mean i perform for you name it vegas vegas is a really hard venue to play mm. um but but you won't, you won't know how much material you have until you've done the road. Oh, and yeah. you've tried your stuff that works in your hometown for your friends and family might not work in Cincinnati, right? Mm-hmm. What is the worst, uh, what is, I always ask people on here like their worst bombing story or like getting booed or like, what, what is your worst bomb? Uh, I, I think it was probably in Vegas. My first time playing Vegas, it was called the Riviera Hotel and Casino. Um, I don't think it exists anymore. And I brought my girlfriend with me and she was in the back of the room and I was up on stage. I was so excited and I start doing the material. I'm due at home mm -hmm. and people don't care. They're just like, and not not even not laughing and some people started walking out and i was like oh god this is awful and the only person laughing was my friend in the back of the room and she was laughing at the fact that no one was laughing <laughs> <laughs> uh and it was it was pretty mortifying so uh i had another show that night at 10 there was like an eight and a 10 <sighs> so i went to the coffee shop with her and i revamped my whole act and i got a I, I borrowed some of her jokes and I just started doing easy to digest one-liners and physical comedy and singing impressions because that's what people want to see when they go to Vegas. They don't want to hear about you personally. They don't care. Mm -hmm. they, they want to drink party and they want it to be easy, right? Uh, I was going to say hearing your friend laughing in the back. I was like, that sounds like a comic. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep, she was a comic and we drove there together and she supported me and was laughing and I was like, oh my God, this is terrible. You were this doing, how much time were you doing? I had to do, I was featuring. So mm -hmm. I had to do 20. And the whole time, like from beginning to the end, it like never, nothing hit. Never got him. How do you bounce back mentally from a bomb? How have you been able to overcome 
I, I used to like, it would be a week or something. Like I would just be down or until I got on stage again, like I've gotten better at it, but still young comics. I mean, it can be devastating when you bomb. Yeah. But bombing's just information, right? It's just something needs to be tweaked or, or you need to get rid of something or maybe add something. Sometimes the setup is the problem. A lot of, a lot of comics will go for the punchline to fix when a lot of times you haven't set up the joke properly. Ooh. And so if, if everyone isn't on board, I, I have one of my students is in Mensa and she was talking about Mensa and, and some people in the class didn't know what that was. And so I said, okay, so when you start talking about this on stage, you have to say what it is. So everyone in the room is on board with what you're talking about. So a lot of times comics will assume what they're talking about, everybody gets. And it's not, not always true. So if half the room doesn't know what you're talking about, if you're referencing a movie or a TV show that people haven't seen, you only have half your audience with you. So you, a joke can bomb, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the problem with the setup. Not necessarily your punchline. So if you have a funny punchline, but not, how do you tweak a setup to, like if the punchline's good, but how you set it up isn't good. How do you, how do you kind of help comics reframe their setups? Well, you make sure that everyone on board, everyone in the room is with you before you just say the punchline that everyone on, on board is following you and understands what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So I have a joke. This is an old, old joke that I'm bringing back to my act because I thought of it recently one of my students reminded me of it and i thought you know i wrote this 20 years ago i'm gonna see if it still works i say um hey guys i got this coupon in the mail and it's seven dollars off monistat vagisil yeast infection cream which is great news the bad news is i don't have a yeast infection where was the coupon last week you know so anyway, I don't want it to go to waste. I want to give it to somebody who could use it. Is anybody here dating a drummer? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, okay. So if I said, if I said in that joke, I have a coupon for Monistat 7. Nobody, half the room wouldn't know what that is. The guys don't know what Monistat 7 is, right? I need to say yeast infection medicine. I need to clarify exactly what it is for that particular joke to work. Yes, yeah, sometimes we can over edit our jokes to where it's like, we're worried about word economy, but sometimes we overdo it to where it doesn't even make sense. Yes, yes. Oh, that's gold. Ooh, we dropping dimes uh, in here today. Uh, one of my favorite jokes that one of my students told um, years ago is uh, she says, um, you know, people always like to give you advice. For example, my dog loves chocolate. And yes, I go through a lot of dogs. And that joke makes me laugh so hard, but you're not laughing. So if you don't know that dogs get very sick when they eat chocolate, uh -oh. if you can kill them. Right. It, if you don't know that chocolate kills dogs, you're not going to laugh at that joke. Oh, yeah. So you have to know that in order for that particular joke to work. But I have two dogs and I know that if they eat chocolate, it could be lethal. Mm -hmm. So I go through a lot of dogs, made me laugh so hard. <laughs> I do see though, like now that I, and I, I do remember now that, oh yeah, chocolate, I've heard that chocolate kills dogs, but in that split second of a punchline, I didn't connect the dot instantly. But right. So when she says, when she says, my dog loves chocolate, that should already get a little bit of a laugh. Ah. Because if, if people know where, you know, what she's talking about, they're already primed. But if you forgot that, yeah, it's a thinker, right? You have to, mm -hmm. you deliver the punchline and then it doesn't hit you until later, which nobody wants that kind of a joke. But it is funny. I mean, now in hindsight, clearly now that the timing's gone, I'm like, oh yeah, I do see going through a lot of dogs is funny, but. It's very smart and it's, it's one of my favorites. Um, yeah. 
So we, we have some we have some questions coming in here from the hot breath of us as well. Okay. Um here's a this one's from Ben Webb, who asks um this is the guy who said nice start, Joel, at the beginning. When okay. <laughs> I, like, I love what this lady's doing. Here's oh yeah. But we're back. I need to get over that. I don't know. I don't I feel Let it go. Yeah. I need to alright. I don't know what. I do feel a little scrambled today. I've only been off sugar two days. I doubt it would be that, but I don't know. But I do feel a little scrambled, but thanks for keeping Well, maybe I'm making you nervous. I'm so intimidated. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Ben asks, what is one of the most valuable lessons you have learned about how to connect with audiences and encouraging them to come back to future shows? Ooh, that seems like a two-parter. Connect with audiences, I mean, during your set or connect with audiences so well that you're developing fans. Yeah, it sounds like he's saying, yeah, building a fan base that'll like come yeah, back to a show. A fan base. So I used to produce Pretty Funny Women at the Hollywood Improv about um, in the two, early 2000s. And I would produce it once a month and I had on... Um, and in the late 90s, and I had on um, Tig Notaro, Chelsea Handler, um, Vicky Barbalak, Heather McDonald, Natasha Legero, Maria Bamford, and before anybody knew who these people were. And wow. Tig, people would come back time and time again just to see Tig. Because, because if you have a signature bit that people go, oh, I hope she does the no molest a bit. Mm. Um, if, you, if you are extraordinarily smart and funny, people will want to come back and see you again and bring their friends. So I would say the best way to connect to an audience and make them want to come back is to deliver a killer show and have one signature bit that people are talking about when they leave. What, what about after the show like as people are leaving or whatever sometimes we just stand there like like a puppy waiting to get rescued we're just like oh, <laughs> you know, i always i always stay i always thank every single person that i see i'm like thank you so much for coming it really means a lot thank you for supporting i appreciate it thank you thank you and then your face hurts from smiling mm-hmm. i hope i answered the question it sounds like it's, yeah, it's like, um, one, well, one just being hilariously funny, but having like a signature bit that people can start to identify you with. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it comes to mind would be like Jim Gaffigan's Hot Pockets or, mm-hmm. uh, or like you said, Ronnie Dangerfield, I get no respect. It's like having some sort of identifiable thing that separates you from other comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like Sebastian is very physical, mm-hmm. and uh, he re- he really appeals to my family, like my aunts and uncles who are Italian, and they're you know they're in their seventies and they love him. So he's he's really um, he covers a lot of ground, and uh, he's got a wide range of fans. Mm-hmm. Kids love him. And, and he's clean. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, he's one of those, he's one of those comics that it's like, some people may be like, oh, overnight sensation or whatever. But like, I mean, he, he grinded it out to get to where he is. You know, he built this literally like show by show, joke by joke. This was not an overnight thing. So yeah, yeah, Yeah. he's earned where he's at for sure. Oh, oh, Ben said, thank you for sharing, Lisa. He said, yeah, that's, um, he's definitely seen that when hanging out with comedians in between shows. People remember the memorable bits. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for the question. Yeah. Uh, Steve, Steve Polger, he asks, if you were to do a Golden Girls reboot, what comedians would you cast? (laughs) Did he see the back? Did he see my uh, my poster behind me? Oh, I don't know. I wonder if he did. We'll have to ask him. Can Steve- you tell? Or is the glare is the glare on the picture? Can you tell it's the Golden Girls? 
I I can, yeah. The glare isn't all the way on it. Yeah. You could see Betty at the top. Um, and he asked which character would I like to play? Was that the question? He asked um which if you were to do a Golden Girls reboot, what comedians would you cast? Oh, interesting. God. <laughs> no pressure. I'd have, to, I'd have to think about that one. <laughs> It'd be fun to cast somebody like um, Maria Bamford as Betty. Mm. Wouldn't that be fun? Mm-hmm. And uh, as Betty White. So these women would have to be in their 50s. You know, what's so funny about the Golden Girls is they were only in their 50s. But they acted like they were 90. <laughs> it's timeless. Yeah. Well, Sophia was older, but she was like late 70s, 80s. But the other ones, they looked a lot older than women in their 50s. I'm 54. And women didn't, the, the Golden Girls looked a lot older back then. Don't you think? Yeah, but I even feel like teenagers looked older back then if i see a teenager now or like even like someone in high school i was like oh they look 12 i was like wait they're 18 like it's crazy i don't know i just turned 34 like two days ago so i'm i'm just starting to see younger and younger people and i'm just like oh this is weird to be on the other side here yeah where i get called happy sir birthday. <laughs> happy birthday oh thank you <laughs> That's when I quit sugar was on my birthday. I was like, this is too much. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta take a seat here. No cake? That was the last I had. It was some pound cake. That was the last I did there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and Steve didn't know, he said. He just was just asking. Yeah. He didn't know about the poster? Yeah, he didn't know about the poster. Uh, Steve, I'm obsessed with the Golden Girls. <laughs> And they're on every night at like 10 o'clock at night on the Hallmark Channel and I fall asleep to them. So thank you for asking that question. Oh, you are 54. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. When, as soon as you said the Hallmark Channel, I was like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. Um, yeah, we got some more questions rolling in. Feel free to comment with uh, questions, peeps. Uh, and Jesmy said Nate Bargatze's iced coffee with milk story. Is one of those identifiable bits. Yeah, it's... Who? Uh, Nate Bargatze. He has this whole story about getting iced coffee with milk. Oh, I'm going to have to Google that. It's like merch and everything now. Yeah, yeah. It's... um, it's Well, if you haven't seen Tignataro's No Moleste bit, look that up. It's yeah, brilliant. I haven't seen that one, no. It's very old, but... It was definitely something she would do and people would come back to see it again and again. Or they would quote it or, you know. Oh, I love that. Um, I need that. I know, I've been doing comedy 12 years and I, I go back and forth with like, why am I not? Blah, blah, blah. And other times I just have gratitude for even just being able to be a full-time comedian. But I definitely go back and forth on like, well, I need a hook. What is my thing? You know, it's... Point of view. I know, in the 90s, everything was point of view. What's your point of view? They were giving away development deals, left and right to people. And, but you had to have a strong point of view that they could build a sitcom around you. Mm -hmm. That's what they were looking for. You know, what would be your thing? Like, Tim Allen's was tool time, and Roseanne's was a, a domestic goddess, a frustrated domestic goddess. Mm-hmm. Um, Everybody had their thing back then. And uh, Jerry Seinfeld's show was about nothing, right? But that was still his hook. Yeah. It's almost like social media has now become that because there's comedians who are like, uh, like we interviewed a comedian named Charlie Barons. He's a Midwest comedian. He creates content about things in the Midwest. And he's gone viral. He sells out like everywhere he goes, you know, like, we're talking about the Hawaiian comedian that I'm working with in April, Tamua. He did a bunch of Hawaii skits. Now, you know, five years in, he's selling out theaters. So Wonderful. it does seem to be, even with social media, it's like when people come to your channel, what is this like the one thing they're going to get? They want to come here for a specific dose of your point of view. So 
just being super specific about it, I guess. I'm all over the place on social media. <laughs> yeah, I'm not good at it. It's when you good. sent me when you sent me the YouTube. Oh yeah, you were like, wait, I, I've only done Zoom. Is this like a new <laughs> <laughs> live streaming thing you're talking about? <laughs> it's a it's a new frontier. Um. So where'd the next one go? Tavis is asking, how many shows a night do you do? And additionally, does the Laugh Factory tell you what parts of your act they are going to show online? Um, the Laugh Factory, when they, they tape all the shows and they make you sign a waiver that giving them permission to take that particular bit and post it and they run the bit by you first. Yes, mm. they do. Uh, shows per night. I produce about two shows a week. So I have a show running tonight. I won't be there, but it's my show. It's pretty funny women at the La Jolla comedy store. Nice. And, and I have a show tomorrow night at Flappers comedy club in Burbank. Uh, so about two a week. That's all I can handle. It's hard to fill a room. You know, when you're new, that's the big thing is, do you have fans? Do you have friends? Do you have family? Do you have people mm -hmm. that will come see you? Because if you don't, then you're not really valuable to a club owner who wants butts and seats drinking. And the booker likes people who promote and bring people. So get your fan base together, new comics. Get like a, a MailChimp, a, a mailing list, and make sure that you have like, 10 people who come see you, you'll get booked back over and over again if you can bring people to your club, bring people to the show. I hate bringer shows, but you got to do them when you're first starting out. Yeah, and, and starting out, definitely uh, for like younger comics, I mean, I lived on stage, like starting out in the, the early years of my career, like I was on stage every single night and I'd be like at work all day, and then on on like open mics all night. And that's part of just that grind of developing as a comedian. You know, as I've gotten like further into it, I'm producing more of my own shows and doing less open mics. And my focus is more also of like booking on the road and things like that. So I'm not out every single night anymore, like on that open mic grind like I used to be. But early on, I mean, out of all the like we've interviewed over 400 comedians and the number one advice has been to get on stage. Like you have to get on stage. Even you with your class, it's like homework. Number one, go get on stage. Like that's really where you develop and learn comedy. Yep. Yeah. And like I said, when I was first starting out, when I was in my twenties, I was doing stand up every night of the week. Yeah. I, I was looking for shows to jump on. I was doing open mics. I would drive to Pomona which in Los Angeles is an hour drive. I would drive just to do 10 minutes. Mm. To, Cause you're dying to try your stuff out. In and that's a longer an set. Yeah, in front of an audience that isn't your friends and family. You gotta find different groups of people to perform for. Did you ever hear of um, Marty's in LA? Did you ever go there? Oh my gosh. No. No, I I didn't hear great things. Oh yeah, I mean I went that that just made me think of like the early open mic grind, and yeah. like I went like I read something about it, uh, in like Harper's Bazaar or something, and I was like, oh, I've got to go see this place. And it, I mean, it, it yeah, it was, yeah, it was it was very sad, but it was yeah. like a bunch of comedians in this place, and one room it was like a bedroom where people were doing comedy. There was like a patio, and then there was like a living room. <laughs> It was so bizarre, but it just made me think of. Um, Basically, yeah. Marty's was an open mic house that yeah. he did open mics. He would start at like three o'clock in the afternoon, right? I, I think. Well, ten o'clock at night. Yeah, I did. I did an early show because I wanted to get like warm up before going to do another show. So yeah, I went there earlier in the day. Yeah. Yeah. He's <laughs> not around anymore. No. I, yeah, I heard that. A lot of open mics closed down, unfortunately. You know, I opened up a club in 2019 called Pretty Funny Women in West Hollywood. I opened up a space. 
It was a beautiful, it sat uh, 35 people, it sat 35 people. I produced shows in there, I taught classes, I ran workshops, I rented it out, I had parties. And then the pandemic hit and I had to close it. Sorry to hear that. It wasn't that. even open a year. Sorry to hear that. I know I invested a lot of money in there that I lost, but what are you gonna do? Ever? A lot of people lost a lot more than I did. Well, let's try to get a positive. <laughs> like, oh yeah, the pandemic destroyed lives. Yeah, uh, no, I know. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, all yeah. I was yeah, I, did, I was gonna. But be... I did run a I did run a club for a little bit for for almost a year, and it was a lot of work, but also fun. Fun to have my own space. Just me asks if um she has like a channel basically is social media that important to market yourself like will will that help you get booked like will you book people based on their social media or whatnot if a comic has a very large following and they're willing to promote and they're willing to blast out to their friends and fans that they have a show um absolutely it's a big deal but it's not, if you're not somebody who has a huge following, it's not going to get people to come to your show for the most part. You got to make, you got to call, text, email. You got to make it very personal. And that's how girls that I've worked with in the past fill the room and get people to come. They pick up the phone. Please come to my show. You know, it's, it's really important. I'd love to see you there. Uh, more that that's going to get you further along than posting a flyer on Instagram. There's just so much content out, out there. Mm -hmm. It can get lost. But if you have a big following, yes, for sure. You're very valuable. Oh, and this, this piggybacks on, uh, John asked, he's, he's on the, the producing your own comedy shows. So he's like, when producing your own comedy show, what are the things you've learned to do and avoid doing to make it a better show? He's basically stuck at a venue. He's stuck at the, he's like stagnant. He says he gets the same amount of people, but he's trying to grow a bigger audience. If you build it, they will come. So you have to just leap of faith, go to a bigger venue. Oh, so he's at a venue? But it, its capacity is much larger. He's he's averaging, I think, like fifty people, but it holds like two or three times more than that. Oh. And he hasn't broken through to that like next tier. Do you make sure your comics are all pitching in and helping you bring an audience? Hmm. Are you making sure that each comic brings like ten people? See, the way I run my shows is I book 10 girls on each lineup, 10 or 12. So if 12 girls bring 10 people, you've got 100 people in the room. If you're booking five comics, it's really, it's a lot harder to, to so book more comics, give them less time and have them help you, have them help you, you know, promote, make sure you get people who have friends and fans and a fan base and family in the area book mm -hmm. local comics who are who are popular popularity contest right nobody would be giving the kardashians a tv show time and time again if they weren't popular mm -hmm. if you're popular you're going to bring people to your show and you're going to help the book or fill the room do you need do you do any other marketing like paid advertising or anything Mm -mm. no all mine is word of mouth that's why i fill my classes word of mouth and for like each show are you building an email list like for your shows um no not not anymore i don't even promote my shows i'll just put it up on instagram which and then a lot of times i have like i have an email list of 900 women and a lot of my women follow me on Instagram, a lot of my students, and they'll see the flyer. They will see the flyer and they'll come to the show to support. 
that's something I've actually been, um, like, um, not advised, but I mean, like, some some advice I've gotten has been, like, you want to build an audience of women because they actually tell other people about the show. They'll bring their friends. Men, they're only going to be there because, like, their significant other told them to be there. Like, men aren't yeah. going to proactively be like, yo, bro, let's go to the show. Like, they're like, build a fan base of women and they'll be, they'll market for you, essentially. Well, that's why I produce female comedy shows because mm -hmm. they work really hard and they, they promote the show for me. But also, Joel, keep in mind that a lot of the shows I produce are graduation showcases. So oh, these okay. girls have just finished a six-week class and now it's their big graduation and they want their friends and family to be there so they have an audience. Right, yeah. They have to be responsible for bringing the audience because no person walking down the street is going to look at the comedy store and go, oh, a graduation show? I've got to go in here and see who this is. Mm -hmm. You know, there's not going to be an audience there unless the comics bring them. Yeah, and it's tough if it's like a comic who's just out on the grind that you book on the show, you know, like they're, they're less likely to promote like your show. It's tough for the comic to want to like perform and help promote, I guess, unless there's like an incentive from them getting paid for the people they bring or something like that. Um, well, the, I, the, here's the irony is when you get somebody who has somewhat of a name or they're, they're like really popular, um, or not really, po not necessarily popular, but they're really strong. They will actually bring less people than somebody who's brand new. Because somebody who's brand new is excited and they're telling everybody, mm -hmm. come see me, right? Somebody who's been doing it for eight years, who hasn't made it yet, but they're solid, they're a solid comic. Um, they're not going to tell their friends. Their friends have seen them a million times. Exactly. So they're, if they're not a draw, I don't book them unless oh. I book them as to headline. Sometimes I'll have one person at the end who's really solid, who can bring it home and kill. But Flappers oftentimes throws that person on the stage for me. We've had Jay Leno go up on our show several times. Um, and tomorrow night, Caroline Ray is going to close out my show awesome yeah so i forgot to tell the girls that i gotta tell all the comics that they'll be excited <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's let's land the plane here um as we are approaching um as we're approaching six o'clock is there um any any closing advice you may have for comedians or any last wisdom you would like to share with uh, comedians? Comedians, uh, it's like, comedy is like horseback riding. You can't learn by watching. You have to be on the horse, which is the stage, and you have to be on lots of different horses to really become a professional. Because every horse has a different personality, right? And every stage and every audience has a different vibe to it. So don't get stuck in going to the same club all the time or the same open mic over and over again. Challenge yourself to go outside the city a little bit or outside your comfort zone and get on a show where it's all people you don't know. Do an open mic, get on stage and try brand new material. Not falling back on your best bit ever, but I don't use open mics to do my set. I use open mics to try only new material. That's my advice. Boom. So where can the, uh, the Hot Breath of Verse reach out to you, show gratitude for even doing this, and maybe if they have additional questions, um, how, how can I get in touch with you? Oh, that's so sweet. Um, okay, so my website is prettyfunnywomen.com. All one word. Sorry, I'm still thinking about me fumbling that. <laughs> <laughs> now my Instagram is at Pretty Funny Women. 
And then um, Lisa at prettyfunnywomen.com is my email address. And you can always DM me on Instagram if you have any questions or if you live in the area or if you're going to be coming to Los Angeles, hit me up and maybe uh, I can put you on a show. Awesome. And are you doing, um, cause when Natalia connected us, um, she mentioned you're doing zoom classes or anything. Are, are you still doing any of those that maybe people yes, I have a zoom class starting on February 28th. Ooh, very cool. Yeah. It's all on my website. Uh, all the information and, uh, it's a six week class with a showcase after with zoom showcase. Oh, how fun. All right. And it's limited. It's limited to 10 women and, um, they're really fun classes. Nice. Well, people are thanking you for being so generous with your time. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you guys for listening. Yeah. Thank y'all so much. And, um, we'll see y'all next week. Hop breath of Bye y'all. There it is, Hot Breath of Verse. Lisa dropped some gems on this episode. My favorite takeaway was the identifiable bit. Finding out what is your identifiable bit that's gonna help you build that fan base. And I'd love to know what your identifiable takeaway from this episode was. Connect with me in our Facebook group linked in the description of this episode. Where we're gonna carry the dialogue forward and keep learning and helping each other get better together. And if you enjoyed Lisa on here, Reach out to her on social media. Let her know how helpful this episode was so we can start attracting even more helpful people like Lisa who shares in that mission of helping cultivate the next generation of self-made comics. Thank you for your time. I love you all. And until next Monday, right here on Hot Breath. Hot Breath. This episode of Hot Breath is sponsored by our Patreon. If any of our content has helped your comedy career, join our Patreon linked in the show notes and get positive comedy karma for life. Probably.